0: This podcast is supported by MercuryGate International, Inc., a global provider of cloud-based enterprise transportation management software that allows shippers and service providers to supercharge their business. The MercuryGate TMS delivers transportation planning and execution, load optimization, global shipment tracking, and performance analysis of involved parties. MercuryGate enables your business to be smarter, stronger, faster, better than the competition by supporting all modes of transportation and handling multimodal, multi-leg, global transportation requirements door-to-door. TMS that delivers. www.mercurygate.com Now, on to the podcast. For nearly 100 years, the U.S. domestic maritime trades have been protected from foreign competition. Some say it's time to remove that barrier. Are they right? Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. The Jones Act, part of the Merchant Marine Act of 1920, restricts the domestic trades to ships that are U.S.-flagged, U.S.-crewed, and U.S.-built. Lately, the law has come under fire for being archaic and unnecessary. A recent report by the Heritage Foundation claims that repealing the Jones Act would save the U.S. economy $682 million a year. It says the law is stifling competition After all, it does cost more to build, crew, and operate an American flag vessel. So why should this industry get special treatment? My guest today, attorney Charlie Papavizas from Winston & Strawn, is one of the nation's leading authorities on the Jones Act. He joins me to discuss the history and purpose of the law and to clear up a number of misperceptions about its impact and purpose. He helps us to understand whether the Jones Act still has relevance and value today. So here is my conversation with Charlie Papavizas. Well, Charlie Papavizas, welcome to the program. Uh, My pleasure. So let's talk about the Jones Act. Let's start by telling me exactly what is the Jones Act. What does it cover?
1: Uh, the Jones Act covers domestic maritime transportation. and restricts the movements of merchandise between two points in the United States to qualified U.S. flag vessels.
0: And it is a clause of the 1920 Merchant Marine Act, Right.
1: That's correct. It's, uh, it actually has origins that go much further back in time than that, but that is correct. That's the modern version of the Jones Act is contained in the Merchant Marine Act 1920.
0: I wonder, do we sometimes confuse it with other type of cargo preference uh, laws, or is this all part of the same ball of wax? For instance, I'm thinking of uh, agricultural uh, food aid preferences there. I'm also thinking of uh, cabotage laws that uh, restrict the U.S. domestic trades to U.S. flag vessels. Is that all part of the same thing, or should we make distinctions between some of that stuff?
1: Uh, you should make distinctions. Uh, the cargo preference laws only apply to U.S. foreign commerce. They do not apply to domestic commerce. Uh, they have similar purposes. The cargo preference laws and the Jones Act are designed in part to promote an active U.S. privately owned merchant marine, uh, both for economic purposes and in the event uh, uh, of war, in other words, for national defense purposes. But cargo, the cargo preference laws are really very separate from the Jones Act.
0: And, of course, as you point out there, the military aspect of it, that military cargoes are restricted to U.S. flag vessels in, in all cases where such tonnage is available, right?
1: That, that's correct. But, again, that's in the foreign commerce, the, the Cargo Preference Act of 1904, applies to foreign commerce, as does the uh, 54 Act, uh, cargo preference 54 Act.
0: Yeah. Now, there are some loopholes, aren't there? I mean, uh, is it not the case that the Jones Act can be waived if uh, sufficient U.S. flag tonnage is not available to, to get the job done or to provide a particular service?
1: Uh, actually, that's not the case. I mean, and in fact, I wouldn't call it a loophole. The, there, is a, there is a waiver law that permits the administration uh, to waive the Jones Act. Uh, but uh, waivers are only permissible in the event of a, of a national defense interest, a national defense purpose, uh, and are pretty rarely given. Uh, there have been waivers uh, following um, the recent uh, mega hurricanes that the United States has suffered, Katrina, Rita, and Sandy, but in each instance the waivers have been pretty narrowly defined and of short duration, uh, which I think tells us that, that waivers are difficult to get and that, in fact, is the case.
0: Didn't that become an issue in the BP oil spill in the Gulf? There was talk about wanting to waive it to bring in some uh, cleaning uh, vessels that supposedly were not available in the U.S. flag fleet?
1: Uh, that was that was discussed. That came up. Uh, I, a lot of it was pretty wrong-headed in the sense that there was plenty of available uh, U.S. flag capacity. And um, uh, so I, no waivers were issued that I'm aware of for oil skimming vessels or, or anything like that.
0: We're not that far away from the Jones Act celebrating its century of, uh, of, of, of birth. Uh, you know, so I'm just wondering, in all those years since it's been around, has it essentially always been under fire in one way or another from opponents or has it been pretty secure for a good part of its life?
1: I guess it depends on what you mean by under fire. I mean, the, are there critics of the Jones Act? Yes, there are. But then again, there are critics of many laws that uh, that we've had of longstanding nature, and the Jones Act has is definitely of long standing nature. There was a period in the 19th century where it wasn't criticized in the 20th century. I don't know, but uh, but in any event, it's it's been a pretty solid law. It's been around um, in, in essence since 1789. Uh, It has very strong support, and it has uh, viable purposes in terms of economic uh, purposes and national defense purposes.
0: But it has survived while other types of preference have not or have been under even more fire. I'm thinking, for instance, of construction subsidies that used to be in place. I believe those are pretty much gone, are they not? Operating differential subsidies, I guess they're still there, but they've been under fire too. And somehow the Jones Act seems to soldier through all this
1: it's true that there there were certain programs in the maritime industry that that no longer exist that were enacted in the 1930s and, and are no longer funded they actually exist they're just not funded and you're correct operating subsidies and uh construction subsidies but but the Jones Act as i said has been pretty solid it has strong support and uh, i certainly tell people that one of the reasons that it has survived, I believe, is that it's been somewhat flexible in the sense that the law as we have it today is not the same law we had 20 years ago or 100 years ago. Congress has made changes. Congress has included provisos, and it's always being uh, administered by the agencies in ways that result in um, changing interpretations over time to account for technology changes and so forth.
0: Can you talk a little bit more about what some of those changes have been over the years?
1: The Jones Act, in some ways, has been strengthened over time. For example, it's been made clear that if a person takes a vessel and rebuilds it outside the United States, that that's prohibited. Uh, It used to be possible to take a vessel and do that. And in effect, many people would say, get around the U.S. construction requirements. At the same time, the Jones Act, in some ways, has been loosened, uh, for example, some years ago, Congress changed it to permit foreign lease financing, to permit foreign banks and foreign leasing companies to own Jones Act vessels. So, so that's what I mean by, in certain circumstances, it's been it's been strengthened. In other cases, it's been altered to make it more flexible.
0: Do you believe that we need the Jones Act, and if so, what is the argument in its favor?
1: Well, I don't know that I really want to express an opinion as to to whether we need it or not. As you know, I'm in the law business and clients hire us to do what what they hire us to do. But the arguments in favor, as I understand them, are one, that it supports a very vibrant domestic uh, maritime industry, shipyards, ship owners, ship operators, and U.S. citizen merchant mariners. And without such an industry, we would have problems in supporting our troops abroad and in terms of our national defense posture generally. So I, I believe those are the arguments in favor of it.
0: According to the Heritage Foundation, which is a, definitely opposes the Jones Act, repeal of the Jones Act would save the U.S. economy $682 million a year. Have you seen that figure? Does it seem credible to you at all?
1: I don't think it's credible because I don't think the Heritage Foundation takes into account that in large measure the Jones Act does nothing more than impose uh, U.S. law on U.S. domestic commerce. In, in other words, it's not possible for British Airways to fly between Chicago and Houston. Any, any, and no one takes any special note of that, and no one writes down a figure in terms of whether that's a cost to the U.S. Um, economy. And the Jones Act does little more than that. In other words, require U.S. owned equipment to operate between U.S. ports. So I, I don't think that figure takes that into account, so I expect it's probably exaggerated.
0: Do we have the resources to actually run u s flag fleets in a domestic and domestic operation, and I guess when I ask that question, i'm not so much thinking of tankers and bulks, I'm thinking of over the years attempts to create kind of coastwise container services that were Jones Act trades, uh with the exception of course of the Hawaiian trade, which has been a vibrant domestic Jones Act trade for many many years I'm just wondering is there enough ships is there enough capability to do that to even make it viable
1: well first of all just just to note that there's also of course viable container service to Puerto Rico and to Alaska not just Hawaii mm-hmm. well that's 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 an interesting conundrum there are there are there are many people in the Jones Act community and the maritime administration as well that have been trying very hard to start container uh, coastal container services, short sea shipping services, as they call them, or marine highway services and it's and it 's not exactly clear how that should be done or whether or whether the reason that hasn 't occurred is not so much a lack of capacity or ability but just a lack of demand in, in other words. That the trucks, the truck network and the rail network do a pretty good job, and therefore there isn't a need for these. It's not clear. It's not clear what the answer is. But but you're correct in pointing out that it hasn't occurred with the lower forty-eight, so to speak.
0: It used to be one of the hits on that idea was that it was just too slow. But now we're looking at uh, international commerce. We're seeing international container ships slowing down to the point where speed right. really is not an issue in the uh, in the in the uh, foreign trades. So I'm wondering if it's not so much an issue in the domestic trades anymore either
1: well again i'm not I'm not a shipping economist per se, and I'm not sure I can really comment but but it's pretty clear that when you put something on a vessel and you take it off, you have probably more cargo handling than you might otherwise do, so even if the vessel is Operating quickly or slowly, or whatever there are other factors in terms of those costs uh potentially extra handling costs the harbor maintenance tax potentially is applied twice when otherwise it might only be applied once to an import yeah there's there There are a number of issues at work here. Uh, and as I said, there are lots of very smart people have tried to figure their way through this un- unsuccessfully. So I don't know that you and I will do any better in, in, <laughs> you know, in this this interview.
0: Okay. I guess we won't try <laughs> too hard in that area. There, there is the argument, though, uh, and I know you've heard this a million times, that it's just simply too expensive for a U.S. flag fleet to operate, that crews cost too much, that ships cost too much. It's just not commercially viable, even with that kind of protection that the Jones Act affords. So what do you think about that?
1: Well, I, I, th- I think these these costs are all costs of just being an American. If you look at what a U.S. citizen crew goes, uh, puts in, in terms of training, in terms of uh, uh, security checks, in terms of the experience that's required and then the taxes they have to pay and the owner taxes that have to be paid and then all the the laws that we impose as a country on all our domestic businesses, then uh, one shouldn't be surprised that those costs wind up being greater than the cost of operating with a Panamanian flag or a Maltese flag and the crew and the owner don't pay taxes and so forth. I think these are just the costs of having an American operation, and I, and I think uh, we shouldn't be surprised about them.
0: I want to take a moment to tell you about Mercury Gate International, Inc., a global provider of cloud-based enterprise transportation management software that empowers shippers, 3PLs, freight brokers, and freight forwarders to supercharge their business. 300 customers worldwide use the MercuryGate TMS every day to plan and execute their transportation, optimize loads across customers, track and trace their shipments, and analyze the performance of all parties involved. The MercuryGate TMS supports global multi-leg shipments using any mode including parcel, LTL, truckload, ocean, air, rail, and intermodal from point of origin to point of destination. MercuryGate delivers software-as-a-service and on-premise TMS solutions that can be configured to meet the unique business processes and workflows of shippers and logistics service providers, allowing execution of the most demanding freight movements. MercuryGate's single-platform TMS can be accessed with any web browser across the globe and allows for localization and personalization, as well as easy ERP, WMS, carrier, and customer network integration to tie together and strengthen your supply chain. TMS that delivers. www.mercurygate.com Now, back to the show. you had mentioned that nobody uh, nobody blinks an eye at the at the use of cabotage for air travel but again the comparison there isn't exactly the same is it because the costs of crews and pilots for foreign airlines serving the united states are not necessarily that much different if indeed they're different at all from that of us uh, uh, operations right
1: that's probably a fair comment and also the 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 issue of construction in other words one area where the jones act plainly differs with other cabotage requirements is that the vessels have to be built in the United States for the Jones Act, whereas aircraft do not uh, or rail cars or 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 trucks or whatever so there's there's definitely a difference there to be examined again i don't I don't have the facts and figures to tell you how significant that is in terms of the cost difference but there's but there it is a difference
0: well, can we talk about shipbuilding for a minute? Do we have a vibrant enough shipbuilding industry in this country to fulfill the needs? of a U.S. flag fleet uh, in domestic service.
1: I guess that's a matter of judgment. Do we have active shipyards? We absolutely do. Are they producing high-quality products? They absolutely are. Uh, is it enough? Well, again, that, to me, that's a matter of judgment as to whether the demand exceeds the supply. I think U.S. shipyards at the moment are all humming, uh, and I would say that's a good thing, not a bad thing. So the capacity's there. The technical know-how is there. Shipyards like NASCO um an Acker in Philadelphia are, are, are very well attuned to worldwide, uh, practices. They have joint ventures with shipyards, uh, in other countries, uh, you know, and are, and are world-class operations. So I, I, again, as, as to whether it's enough, uh, that's for someone to judge, I guess.
0: It was only just a couple of weeks ago, or if even that, that we heard about this new uh, uh, additional Jones Act tanker being uh, built at, uh, by General Dynamics for Kinder Morgan, which, uh, and the argument when that was announced was that this is proof positive that we need no Jones Act waivers because the uh, infrastructure and the capability in the American ships are there to get the job done.
1: Like I said, it's a matter of judgment, and it's not really mine to render. But I'll just I'll just note something that people tend to overlook, and that is we're talking about a 20- or 25-year asset. So when someone says, well, the rates are high today, well, they may very well be high today, but then it might not be high in a year or two or five years, in which case, over the life of the vessel, the owner may not have done all that well. These things have to be taken into account, and and let's let the market take it into account. The rules are the same for everybody. Construct in the United States, use a U.S. crew, pay U.S. taxes. Let's let the market decide that.
0: Of course it's not a market in the sense that it's open to competition everywhere. It's a mar- you know it's a self-contained market, but I guess even within that there are still market market-based rules that you have to play by.
1: And that's that's certainly the way I see it. Uh, yes, it's 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 not a market necessarily that's associated with the world market. It's self-contained in, in a, again only in a sense but um, but the market does prevail. I mean, the companies in the Jones Act compete very hard with each other, as do the shipyards with each other. Uh, and I don't think we should think otherwise. I mean, that's, this is definitely an aspect that's no different than any other market.
0: What kind of figures have you seen that uh, indicate the number of jobs that would be at stake if the Jones Act went away tomorrow?
1: See, I'm not I'm not sure I'm the right person to answer that. I mean, I think it's a pretty big number. Um, when you count all the ancillary services, not just the direct jobs, in other words, not just the crews and uh, the shore-based people that run these businesses, but but also everybody else that supports uh, any maritime business in the world, the, the, the people who do repairs, the people who provide spares, the people and so on. All of these companies, it's a pretty big number. It's a pretty, it's a pretty substantial industry.
0: I want to talk also you know, to get back to what we were talking about waivers. It's a pretty high bar uh, for waivers, and, and yet, do they happen out there? And, and if so, what are some of the circumstances that would allow for a waiver? Well, as, as I said, they're not. They're actually
1: pretty rare. The uh, the way Customs and Border Protection, which is the lead agency, tends to be the lead agency agency on these matters, deals with this. Uh, Commercial expediency, as they say, is insufficient. In other words, if someone comes in and says, well, the only U.S. flag vessel available, Jones Act qualified vessel is very expensive, the answer to that is you don't get a waiver. So it has to be a national defense interest, and that's pretty rarely invoked. In the last 10 years or so, those have tended to be only in the cases, like I mentioned, of a major uh, national event like the big hurricanes
0: u s takes such a big hit from uh, opposition in other countries about uh, the protecting its, its protection of 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 this trade. Do other nations have similar uh, laws on their books
1: uh, they do There are maritime cabotage requirements like the Jones Act or similar to the Jones Act uh, around the world uh, unfortunately i don 't know that we have a good catalog of those. The maritime administration. Uh, did a study of similar requirements, but it's quite dated. It's from the 90s. But there are many countries have these sorts of things. I believe, for example, the European Union restricts, uh, not between their, their countries that are members, but from outsiders participating in the, their domestic trade. So in other words, Greek companies can operate in Norway and Norwegian companies can operate in Greece, but U.S. companies cannot operate amongst the islands in Greece.
0: So, so in I, I, I
1: don't think that's any different.
0: Yeah, in fact, I think uh, I I could be wrong because I'm certainly no expert in this, but I thought that every major uh, country has practices some sort of maritime cabotage or close to every attempting to protect their their trade in that way.
1: I don't think we should find that surprising for the reasons I, I alluded to before, which are when you're talking about a country's domestic commerce, it shouldn't surprise us whether it's maritime or aviation or whatever, that the country takes a strong interest in their domestic commerce and regulates it in some way. Um, and and usually, usually in a way that's, that's very much in tune with the way it regulates everything else that happens in that country.
0: So you're in Washington, right? Yep. Uh, so you kind of have your ear to the ground as to what's going on legislatively with regard to uh, sentiment for or against the Jones Act. You know, it all comes down to money, though, and we have so many issues about money with regard to transportation these days. Do you see the money as being there in the future for continuation of the Jones Act?
1: Well, I, the Jones Act has has enjoyed strong support, uh, and it has strong support today. Do I see that changing? No, I, I don't see that changing. I think... The Jones Act uh, will have strong support in the future. And it's organized support, it's determined support. Whether money is really the, the issue, it's, it's, it's organized and determined. That, uh, to me, are the more important issues.
0: But a philosophical shift away from federal government support of industry uh, certainly has been taking place to some extent in the recent decades. And as we look ahead now to the coming election and one beyond that, certainly the possibility of a more conservative, more so-called free market mentality taking control of both houses of Congress, maybe the White House, you know, this whole idea that the Tea Party ethos about, you know, we shouldn't virtually pay for – government shouldn't pay for anything. Does any of that create like Dark clouds on the horizon for the Jones Act.
1: Well, and there's nothing nothing in Washington is predictable. Uh, you know, people uh, get paid a lot more money than I do to pretend like they can predict what's gonna happen in Washington, but we're all making it up, so who knows? But it but at the same time, has the Jones Act a survivor? It absolutely is a survivor, and not only that, more importantly, the the US government doesn't spend any money. With regard to the Jones Act, the Jones Act, you, one might argue, is a cost imposed on U.S. domestic transportation, but it is a cost imposed on the federal government.
0: So it's not a line and, line item in the budget.
1: Exactly. That's exact, and that's that's of critical importance. One one can look at the way um, our cargo preference laws have been under sustained pressure, which they have been, uh, both military cargo preference and other cargo preference, because the federal government spends more money. When, or at least generally, not always, but generally spends a little more money uh, with regard to shipping on U.S. flag vessels, and so and so, there is always a budgetary reason to do something about it. There is not a budgetary reason to do something about the Jones Act. It's a. It might be a philosophical dispute or debate, but but not a Jones Act, not a uh, outlay reason.
0: Yeah, on the international side, especially with regard when you're talking about food aid, the argument is that transportation takes up too big a slice of, of of aid that would have more aid that would have gone to its target with cheaper transportation. But I guess that issue doesn't really come up with the domestic trades and the Jones Act, does it?
1: It it, it does not. It's it's really two separate things. So I, the only the only connection is it's both affecting the U.S. maritime industry, but otherwise it has no no connection.
0: Yeah. Oh, this is an impossible question and there's no answer to it because nobody has a crystal ball. But I'd like to hear view, your view, at least on kind of, you said that the Jones Act has changed throughout the years. Do you have any sense of how it might continue to change in order to survive? What types of uh, revisions or, or what it might look like a few years from now?
1: Well, I no, I I don't know. I I I just know that it does change. And I know that Sometimes it becomes more strict, uh, and sometimes it becomes more liberal. And sometimes Congress changes something today that it only changed five years ago and so on. Uh, There's an example of that where Congress uh, enacted some um, easier participation of foreign money in the jones act in 1996 and in 2004 they half reversed course the course and went back and changed it to make it more strict again so the 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 pressures will continue to be there the economic pressures the political pressures and and they will push the jones act along one way or the other
0: bottom line though not going away tomorrow
1: I certainly don't expect it, uh, but as I said, nothing nothing is predictable in this town.
0: Well, Charlie Papavizas, thank you so much for enlightening us on the subject of the Jones Act, helping to understand what it is and what its future might look like. Thank you very much for being with us.
1: Again, my pleasure. It was, uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, maybe we'll do it again sometime.
0: Before we go, a final word from our sponsor, Mercury Gate International, Inc., a global provider of cloud based enterprise transportation management software that allows shippers and service providers to supercharge their business. The Mercury Gate TMS delivers transportation planning and execution, load optimization, global shipment tracking, and performance analysis of involved parties. MercuryGate enables your business to be smarter, stronger, faster, better than the competition by supporting all modes of transportation and handling multimodal, multi-leg, global transportation requirements door to door. TMS that delivers. www.mercurygate.com. Well, that was my conversation with attorney Charlie Pepa-Vizas talking about the Jones Act. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'm Bob Bowman, managing editor of Supply Chain Brain. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com where we post a new episode of this podcast. for streaming and downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch nearly 2,000 videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter, at scbrain. And don't forget, check us out on iTunes. Just search for Supply Chain Brain. See you next time.